You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Wealth Tech on Deck. On our podcast, we talk with industry leaders each week about the future of wealth management with a particular focus on the confluence of human and digital advice. With each of our guests, we pay special attention to their firm's strategies around product, distribution, and technology. If this is your first time joining us, this is part two of my conversation with Jasmine Jarrell, CEO of Allianz Life. If you haven't listened to part one, be sure to go back and give it a listen. That conversation I found very enlightening. We talked with Jasmine about her background and experiences at Allianz and other firms and some of the problems she has focused on solving throughout her career. In this episode, we're going to dig into the how, how Jasmine has used technology and automation to solve some of the most complex problems. We hope you enjoy. You know, one of the things that strikes me as you're talking about all this, and by the way, we're still just talking about your background. We haven't gotten to your new job. Well, you're doing a lot of this, <laughs> I know, in your new job. But just the challenge, the complexity, when you think about all that you have to deal with and something that's often, I think, overlooked, and that is that uh, it's not just that the complexity of your product set, which is very, very sophisticated in terms of its approach, and it's not just in terms of relationship development. Lord knows that uh, relationship development has its own complexities. And then you've got all this technology that's sort of in motion, you know, changing oil while flying the plane, trying to figure out what's next and how do you incorporate it and how do you work with firms that are still figuring it out on their end. It's pretty daunting. How do you do that? How do you do all the above? I'm just sort of curious. It sounds like you, you're very organized in your thinking, but I guess it leads it to where, where you're headed with your role as CEO. How, how do you pull all this together and, and really get all the trains heading in the same direction and running on time and as things advance, as that oil is being changed while flying the plane? Uh, how do you do it? Yeah, I think a few things. One is we've invested, as many firms have, in bringing in folks who really are experts in this space. You mentioned Salesforce earlier as kind of a, a sales enablement tool. and the ability to maximize the power of, of Salesforce and integrate Salesforce into all the other different technologies that are out there right now. I mean, in some respects, it's kind of table stakes, but that's its own really unique tool and unique discipline. So I think really not being afraid to go out and procure the talent and the expertise who really have mastered the various technologies has been certainly key to our success. Mm -hmm. We do have a culture and I think we really place a lot of value on continuous learning and just really working hard with our distribution partners to make sure we have good line of sight into where they're headed, what technologies are they considering so that we can research them and figure out how they could impact us. And, and then, you know, working hard to bring solutions forward. So instead of waiting for a mandate about kind of a new tech platform or a new tech strategy that, that a firm's going to be looking for, how can we partner with, say, fintech companies or others in the market to bring something that's even better than the baseline that's out there and really add value for the advisor and the planning experience and the distributor and just kind of simplifying their life in terms of making risk management products available in a way that that's seamless for their advisors? So, you know, I think having the right talent is absolutely critical making sure that you're continuously out there learning and kind of pushing your team for how we can make best use of the technology and the platforms that are out there. And then being really agile and flexible to adapt and adjust. I mean, this is still a really evolving space. So some of the things we've tried haven't worked or we've had to you know, pivot and try something else. And I think just 
you know, being willing to learn and to adjust and adapt and keeping your eye on the prize of really having a great value add you can bring to the advisor, you know, at the end of the day is is always going to win. Yeah, just to put a little color on it for our audience that uh, may be familiar with some of these names and concepts and just Again, I'm a student of Allianz and really enjoyed watching what you all have been building as that uh, plane is flying and the oil is being changed. I saw you just did an announcement with Riskalyze. You work with our company, Life Yield. Uh, you've got a, a venture capital group. Uh, Chad Virgin is a good friend and on the Life Yield board and uh, a great advisor and, and partner. You've got people like Emily Rattan, who's figuring out all the investments that you all have made in technology and how to incorporate. And I'm sure she was part of that Riskalyze deal and I'm sure part of the Salesforce deal. And then you've got Heather Kelly, who came out of uh, United Capital, now part of Goldman, and uh, built a significant platform there, or the financial life that uh, Joe Duran and company had put together. Uh, and of mm-hmm. course, Corey Walther has been around for a long time and very strong relationships with so many firms. And having come up through the ranks at Allianz, you've really got a great team, And but you're also got your ear firmly uh, to the ground as to what's going on and where you should play. And also, I, I observed that you're willing to take a shot. You're willing to experiment. It's uh, And frankly, I observed they seem to be working out pretty well, but maybe comment on that because the venture capital group was also part of your growth purview. So maybe talk about how all that comes together because this thing I observe about the whole growth thing is it's uh, it's hard to connect all those dots. It's hard to coordinate it all and have it translate into revenue growth. Yeah. Sometimes I think about the growth space as a little bit akin to more of an R&D type strategy where you, you might throw 50 things out and only a couple are really going to stick. So I think it is fundamental to have a willingness and an appetite to experiment and certainly to have some guiding principles around what your approach is or strategically what's most important to you. But that really kind of willingness to experiment and learn is critical. The ventures program that we have has been just fundamental, I would say, to driving culture change in our company and also really helping us think differently about how we can bring solutions to market. So working with companies like Lifefield, as as one example, has given us access on a scale and speed that we could never have achieved building it on our own to new solutions that we can bring forward as part of our value proposition. And I would also say just kind of watching how fintech companies really build their strategies and take risks in growing their business. And it's on a different scale and often in a different market has helped us think about how we can deploy those same strategies as we look at some experimentation within our business. The depth of talent and expertise in fintech is just unbelievable. You know, it's not always been easy for insurance companies to attract the best in breed you know, IT talent or data analytics talent to give you a couple of examples. And we just see, you know, tremendous talent in the likes of the fintech companies that we work with and and those more broadly in the ecosystem. And they're challenging and pushing carriers like us to innovate and think differently and get better. So it's a hugely valuable part, I would say, of our strategy portfolio. Um, And I think companies that figure out a way to take advantage of it will really have an edge. I think the days are long gone where insurance companies can build all of their capabilities on their own. The market's just moving too quickly to do that. So having strong partnerships and knowing kind of where and how you can leverage expertise in a specialized capacity from those who are building best in breed solutions is really, really critical to driving growth. You know, I hadn't thought about it until you were just coming in this, Jasmine, but uh, a company 
one of our first and certainly one of our most important clients, uh, Morgan Stanley. We've been working with them over the past, I don't know, six, seven years. And I'm a, another fan and student of uh, James Gorman and all that he's put together. And he made a statement, I think it was about six or seven years ago at a quarterly earnings call, that their strategy was not to build it themselves, but rather to work with the best of breed. We happen to be among that group when they, he made that announcement or at least you know, went forward with their strategy. And it sounds like you're doing the same thing, and I have to know it just because we've lived it and observed it, is that if however you partner, however you connect, however you coordinate, there's lots of good talent out there and capability, certainly. And a lot of the challenge, frankly, is then how you coordinate those capabilities among capabilities, if you will. So uh, I mean, just more of a compliment. I think you've sounds to me, if you'd confirm that you've embarked on a similar strategy, which is how do you coordinate the best of breed out there to then deliver on what you talked about earlier, better product, better distribution, better relationships. And that technology, in my view, I think the future is all about how you coordinate it from the folks on the outside. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And you know, we're always going to want to manufacture the things that are really core to management of risk sure. in our role as an insurance company. Yep. But all of the other adjacent capabilities that are really required to bring a solution out to market and to serve kind of that full life cycle of what an advisor or customer experiences with us is only made better with partnerships with best and breed companies who can bring capabilities to the table that are that are better than what we have. And that's exactly part of the role we can play in terms of adding value. We help advisors and customers by not having to go out and source all this stuff on their own. And, you know, Lightfield's a perfect example of, you know, one of the ways in which we're doing that. Sure. So the growth rate you talked about, I think was a $15 billion revenue number on top of a 12 year. I'm sure you know the math straight away. What's that percentage growth? Yeah. So we're expecting, you know, obviously we're still not quite at the end of calendar year 2021 here, but we're projecting that we'll hit the $15 billion mark. And that's up from 12.2 at year end in 2018. So what's that? 30%? I'll have to get my actuary friends to check my math, but ballpark 30%. (laughs) Not bad (laughs) for a three-year period. Yeah. Well, I want to put this in context for my friends on the asset management side. And I say this with all due respect, that if you take the market out, the asset management and wealth management world doesn't look nearly as attractive as what the market has provided, (laughs) shall we say. And uh, you're in a segment that's flat, we'll call it flat, the insurance annuity world, you're in flat, and yet you have a 30% year-over-year projected growth rate. That's pretty freaking awesome. Well, no, I was going 2018 to 2021, so. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, three, three, that, that would be, that would probably raise some other questions, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to go too crazy here, but yeah, we really look at our growth at like a kind of a three-year time horizon. We set three-year strategic plans, so that's kind of the framework yep. that we use, but. But still, over three years, 30% yeah. growth in an industry that's flat. That's flat, it's pretty good. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty good, and I, I share that with our listeners who are, we know that our listeners are very interested in other people's strategy as they figure out their own. I'd pay close attention to Allianz and uh, Jasmine and her team. They uh, pretty incredible numbers, pretty incredible results. Obviously, uh, you're only as good as your your last number, but uh, still, you've uh, done remarkably well. So, talk a little bit. We've talked a lot about your role as the chief growth officer, and this is uh, surely has bled over into uh, what you're doing presently. But why don't you talk a little bit about where you see it all going? What's next? It sounds like you got you're in a good rhythm, you're in a good mode, good momentum, and all that. So, uh, what do you do for your next act? 
So yeah, I would say, you know, Jack, you've mentioned at the beginning of our conversation about growth really being at the top of our agenda. That That is absolutely the case. And I'm really proud of the success that we've had over the past several years and kind of even how 2021 is, is shaking up. You know, I will say we're, we're not stopping and resting at any stretch of the imagination. I think if anything, the pace of change in the industry has really been increasing. So one of the things we're really keen on doing is making sure we're keeping a really close eye on all the different external factors that are driving our business and being prepared for different scenarios that could exist. I think that was really critical in terms of our ability to successfully navigate the pandemic. We'd prepared what we had called kind of playbooks around what if we get to a 1% or a 0% interest rate environment. So we had you know, products and marketing materials and everything else that we needed kind of ready to go. Not that I'd ever want to go back to that situation, but, you know, we take a lot of pride in, you know, scenario planning and thinking through how we can really be best prepared for what can come our way. And I mean, that can certainly be in terms of challenges, but also opportunistically, as we're seeing shifts in consumer or advisor trends that we think we can act on as a fast mover to help give us a competitive advantage. I mentioned about three years ago, we embarked on a long-term growth strategy, and that really was focused on how do we really solidify the position we have in our core markets, make sure that we are you know, number one or number two in every segment in which we operate, and that we're continuing to invest in retaining that competitive position. And we look at sales, but we also take a look at other metrics that are, I think, equally important to the value we're providing. For example, net promoter score or loyalty. Our advisors and our customers satisfied with their experience with us. And, and you know that's another area that is just as important, I think, in measuring our success. At the same time, we set out to really build out a new market's capability and make some longer term investments in some adjacent spaces that you know certainly played well with our core competencies, but also really represented more significant opportunities for growth. So I talked about you know some of the different results that we've achieved. I think now, as we kind of look at that, we have this great foundation that we can build off of to kind of springboard into a broader presence in the US retirement market. Mm-hmm. So we're going to continue this tradition of investing in product, investing in distribution, but now we're really kind of looking at expansion. How can we reach new advisor segments that haven't typically been as receptive to risk management products? The independent financial advisor courses, registered advisor is one segment that comes to mind. Leveraging distribution fintech, there's a number of advisors that we just don't reach today through our traditional distribution channels that we're able to target and segment through some of the new technologies where we have a presence. And then doubling down on some of the highest opportunity new markets. I think one example of something we're really excited about is the ability now to offer annuity products in defined contribution plans. That wasn't really possible in a meaningful way from a regulatory perspective until you know, 12, 18 months ago. We're working on really kind of innovative product design that we'll be launching in first quarter next year that we think is gonna be a real game changer and help us reach a whole different segment of customers that we don't reach through our traditional financial advisor channels today. So having a strong institutional channel um, where we can really grow our presence alongside the retail business is a pretty exciting opportunity. That's great. This is uh, so much fun hearing about your strategy and how it's playing out. I know that uh, you've 
made a number of announcements around defined contribution. That seems, given the change in the regulatory environment, that seems like a, a natural for a place for Eliads to play. Clearly, uh, again, back to our friend Chad Virgin and Emily Bertam, when they worked together on ventures, uh, Emily's now doing some different things around technology, but got their pulse, they got their ear to the ground and uh, some of the investments you've made. And actually, we are now connected with uh, another investment that you've made in Vestwell. We're working with mm-hmm. them at the behest of Allianz as an example. So there's great opportunity that you're both seeking out, but also connecting. It's kind of interesting in terms of the opportunity. And uh, for those who are in our audience that are figuring out your strategy, I'd pay close attention here. It's having your ear to the ground. It's uh, developing products as the regulatory and marketplace environments uh, changes. It's about incorporating technology into the wherewithal to make the stuff work and connect and be more efficient and effective and making sure that uh, you're paying close attention to your customer to make sure that they're getting what they want and need and or if they have ideas to act on them. So am I capturing it in terms of where you're headed and what you're doing? I think I got it, but I might have missed something. No, I think that's right, Jack. And I think the word connector is so critical. At the end of the day, you know, the industry is only as powerful as the kind of collective sum of the parts. And I think we have really seen great power in making those connections across different companies who bring different capabilities to bear. And it's really fundamentally changing the shape of our industry in a really positive way. Yeah. Exciting times for sure. So as we look to uh, wrap up uh, our conversation today, which I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed, Jasmine, thank you. What are three key takeaways that uh, you'd like to make sure our audience uh, leaves from our conversation today? Sure. So the first one we just talked about with respect to consumer trends, but I think the combination of demographics and the acceleration of technology, particularly in light of the pandemic, has made our industry more ripe than ever for growth and innovation. So I think it's really given us an opportunity to think differently about the way that we're delivering the business of risk management and have solutions and experiences that are even more relevant and tailored for consumers' needs today. Second, I would say just at Allianz, we could not be more bullish about growth. We are taking the strengths we have as a product innovator and investments in technology to really deliver a superior experience for advisors and consumers. And one of the critical ways we're doing that is serving as a connector, looking at all the different ways we can bring capabilities to our experience with relationships with firms like LifeYield. And then finally, I would say fintech partners overall are a key driver of the evolution of our business, and they really have the power to help carriers and advisors deliver better education, access to advice, and a superior experience. So I would really kind of encourage everyone out there to think about what can you do to take these best of breed solutions and help deliver even more value for our industry and for our customers. That's great. So my favorite question on these podcasts is about to come your way. Oh, okay. (laughs) As we do each week, try to get to the more personal side of our business and uh, beyond technology and product and all the rest of the stuff we talk about. But uh, what would be something that you do away from work that uh, people might find interesting or surprising, something you're particularly passionate about that you do when you're uh, not in the office? Sure. Well, I'm actually really extremely passionate about helping at-risk kids get a successful start in life. So I've spent a number of years, probably getting close to a decade, working on the board with Washburn Center for Children. They're the largest children's mental health provider in the Midwest. And They just do a fantastic job of making sure that children with 
traumatic life experiences are able to overcome them and become resilient adults. I'm on the board of College Possible, which helps at-risk kids enter college and successfully graduate, also helping to give them a great start in the professional world. And then I work with the largest um, kind of private business school here in the Twin Cities through the University of St. Thomas on their strategic board of advisors. So I get a lot of hands-on opportunity to work with kids in the entrepreneurial school and in the insurance school, and then influence the curriculum to make sure that college students are learning about the trends that are really gonna be shaping our industry for years to come. So it's an area I'm super passionate about. I think we all owe it to the next generation to help them have all the right tools to be equipped to be successful. That's great, that's terrific. I'm not at all surprised and uh, heartened to hear that you have that particular passion. I, I share much of that. We'll have a conversation another time on all that. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. So uh, for our audience, as we look to uh, wrap up our discussion for today, if you've uh, enjoyed our podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and or share what we are doing here at Wealth Tech on Deck. I think uh, this episode is something I would tell your friends about for sure. So we're available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again, Jasmine. It's been a real pleasure. I can't wait for our next conversation. Thanks so much. Likewise. Thanks so much, Jack. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck, our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by LifeYield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.